and welcome to Tires and Swirling Unwired, a daily discussion about business, technology, and current events around the world. Featuring Tim Pyers, a career software, privacy, and mobile communication pro, and Ben Swirling, a leading professional in digital health and healthcare technology. This program is casual and non-rehearsed and may feature occasional guests or recorded interviews. Let's join Jim and Ben now. Hello and welcome to Unwired, episode 26 for Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. You've entered day 133 of the lockdown. I'm Jim Pyers under house arrest from FEMA Region 9 in the Hidden Jewel compound in Escondido, California. Ben is furloughed until show support increases. Please support the Unwired show, wiresworld.net slash donate. We are the value for value model. And if the show brings any value to you, please contribute what you can and what value the show brings to you. Also, clips, jingles, ideas are welcome and you will be credited for any contribution that we use on the show. Um, you'll be uh, noted as a show producer for that episode. Um, it's been several weeks since I've done a show and I've been back and forth to Arizona looking for any taste of freedom from the communist state of California. I want to thank all the producers and sponsors of Unwired and Ben and I apologize for the long delay between shows but we're getting back at it. Uh, life's twists and turns in this day and age can can sidetrack you. So as always, I want to thank our contributors. I want to thank Adam and John of the No Agenda Show, as many of the clips I use come from their collection and, and recent productions. And in full disclosure, I'm a regular producer of the No Agenda Show and recommend uh, anyone listening to give it a try. Visit noagendashow.net or Bing or DuckDuckGo Adam Curry or John C. Dvorak, you can find the show that way. Um, today's show, we're going to focus on China. China and its involvement in our uh, current U.S. predicament. Believe it or not, I think uh, they have a lot to do with it. So we're going we're gonna to start with a few things today that are a little different. I do want you to hear Jer Jeremy Elliott. I'm going to be playing some clips that unless you listen to No Agenda or this show, you may not come across these too often. I'm going to play a little bit of Jeremy Elliott, the iconic podcast. Uh, he has a really interesting take on the current situation, and we're going to break that down a little bit. I'm going to talk about a couple of speeches that I'm sure you never heard. One is President Trump's Rose Garden speech, where he talks about Hong Kong and uh, what what the United States is doing about that. And then A.G. Barr, his uh, very important China speech, where, where he calls out um, the collaborators with China explicitly. And we're going to talk about the NBA and China and Corona. And we have a really interesting take there uh, we're going to be playing some Jason Whitlock, and we're going to be talking about why the NBA was the linchpin to the pandemic. 
and we're going to talk about Rudy Gobert, who somehow became the poster boy for coronavirus, and we're going to debunk that whole situation. And uh, so that's coming up on the show. But uh, a new a new part of the show, we're going to call it This Just In. Um, this just in from Deanna Lorraine, who's running for Congress in Nancy Pelosi's California district. Good luck with that. But anyway, she's she seems interesting, and she's got a she had a take the other day. Uh, this was just yesterday, and this is quote. So now that Trump has said hospitals need to report numbers to the White House instead of the CDC, the CDC just came out and said that they made another small mistake in Florida and they've been uh, and that mistake is they've been counting pneumonia and flu as COVID oh well of course how could that happen what a mistake <laughs> dropping their cases the case numbers from 90,000 which has been the claim down to 11 rut row <laughs> yeah Slight mistake there, boys and gals of the CDC. The swamp is um, the swamp is croaking tonight. Anyway, that was interesting on this just in. All right, let's get to the let's get to the meat and potatoes. Uh, I'm gonna play Jeremy Elliott. Maybe we're gonna spend a little time and break it down, but I definitely want you to hear this and enjoy it. Uh, this is iconic podcast, Jeremy Elliott. Jeremy Elliott on COVID. Enjoy. What we're actually seeing is the systematic implementation of the fall of the Republic and the rise of the corporation of the United States. Every major event is, is a step in the ladder to achieve that end. COVID is just another rung in the ladder, which is why there's a deliberate mixing of all the wordplay. Right. I mean, we should stop calling it, you know, quarantine. That's a term designated for people that are verified sick. This is a house arrest mandated by the state. You should stop calling it, you know, social distancing. There's nothing social about forced isolation. Uh, we should stop saying safer at home when millions of Americans don't have basic necessities adequate to fit their needs. It assumes that everybody's home is equally as safe as the people that are making the statements. We should stop saying, you know, uh, this is for the greater good. Right. When you close the economy, killing millions of businesses that families have worked generations to establish, that's anything but good. We should stop saying this is the new normal. That's just blatant mind control drivel. There's nothing normal about forced isolation, you know, treating your neighbor like they have the plague, breathing your own bodily waste, wearing masks, living in constant fear of contamination. That's normal. I mean, after all, if the virus is so deadly, why hasn't it wiped out the homeless who don't social distance, wash themselves regularly, let alone, you know, live in or have access to a sterile environment? Last year, 1.5 million people died of tuberculosis. Why were you not wearing a mask during the tuberculosis pandemic? You were endangering, you know, public health and safety, along with billions of other uh, people around the globe. So why don't you wear a mask? I'll tell you why. Because the mainstream media didn't tell you to wear a mask. <laughs> right? And so because, because though 1.5 million people died from tuberculosis, there was no tuberculosis pandemic. Any more than there's a coronavirus pandemic. 
What you're really participating in is a beta test for AI systems and facial recognition. See, these cameras work best when people are, you know, distance apart. Now that they're, now they're actually testing through machine learning how to recognize, you know, a face that's partially covered. It's also a way to easily determine who's compliant and who's not. Who does the propaganda work on and who it doesn't? Now get this, you know, there there's some ironies that are here, right? A, a society that kills millions of babies a year for convenience has shut itself down to prevent adults from dying. People that on the one hand slaughter babies in the womb by the millions are now preaching uh, to the masses about the, the sanctity of human life. It's double speak, double talk. It's the, two, it's the two doctrine policy, one for the initiated, one for the uninitiated, one for the inner circle, another for the masses. It's like saying, you know, if I violate the stay at home order, I can be arrested, but you're letting convicted criminals out of prison so they don't get coronavirus. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. If there's a real pandemic, does it require, you know, uh, faulty virus models, rigged test results, 81% false positives, inaccurate news reporting, stage hospital overruns, manipulated death certificates? Nope. You know, when the government shuts down you know, millions of small businesses but doesn't lay off any government employees, it's not about the health. Hmm? When the state bans dentists from practicing but deems it necessary for abortion clinics to stay open, it's not about your health. When the, the, the state prevents you from buying seeds for your garden, but allows you to purchase lottery tickets, it's not about your health. An institution that you know has the ability to destroy all of Earth through you know alleged nuclear warfare should not regulate personal self-defense. You know, an institution that's caught trafficking drugs shouldn't be able to regulate plants. An institution that's racked up $23 trillion prior to coronavirus in debt shouldn't be allowed to manage the retirement fund. Hmm? An institution that was caught spreading STDs should not be allowed to run health care. If people are really concerned about public health and safety, you know, in general, but, you know, they don't care if people, you know... Um, eat garbage, drink poison, smoke cancer, and take prescription drugs, but think that toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and masks are going to protect them from the boogeyman coronavirus. You know, this is a special kind of stupid that I, I can't address here. You should ask yourself uh, some, a couple basic questions. When did you consent from, you know, you creating a government to serve you to you serving the government ruling over you? If you want to know, you know, who's in charge, just think about who you can and can't criticize. Well, lot to unpack there. <clears throat> I would also add a government that constantly lies shouldn't be defining and controlling what we can say in our free speech. But I think Jeremy's spot on uh, quite a few things. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, and really, the doublespeak that comes out of our politicians, Fauci, um, Burks, the CDC leadership, these folks, um, it's pretty bad. I mean, they've been 
they've been caught misrepresenting and lying and positioning their their products over other products it's really outrageous and um, you know I think I think if I could summarize Jeremy's point America used to be a place that um, we had courage we had guts uh, we weren't we weren't the country that was going to be sheltering in place and hiding under the couch and afraid to go outside and afraid to interact with your neighbors. Um, we've been caught up in a, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a campaign of fear and um, it's worked very effective. Uh, I, th I think um, I have a lot of colleagues and friends and family members who've basically, you know, stopped living and locked themselves in a room and won't come out. And, uh, you know, I've, it's very sad to me. Um, and it's very sad. Um, he makes the point, you know, if this was uh, a real disease that was really dangerous, like a real pandemic, which it obviously is not, um, you wouldn't have to fake all this stuff. You wouldn't have to fake the ventilator shortage. You wouldn't have to fake the hospital overcrowding. I'm looking. Um, I'm looking at an anonymous email that I got today from a major hospital uh, group in the area, and. It's got some statistics. It's basically a mail that goes out to the group. And um, <laughs> it's basically showing that since since February, there's there's been about uh, 10,600 plus cases tested. Um, there's been about 261 positive. This is a big hospital. These are this is a big hospital. It's multiple hospitals. Uh, it's not just one, uh, but they're all part of a group. And essentially, the the number of COVID instances is a rounding error, statistically speaking. But all the schools are closed in these areas. You have to wear a mask. The place is shut down. Um, you can't you can't go in restaurants. You can't go work out at the gym. You can't do all these things, and there's no cases. And you have to believe that just like every other place in America, they're lying about these things. So so this these are <laughs> inflated numbers. You, you can't believe a number that comes out. So here's a uh, here's a little COVID hospital study for you. One thing that hasn't been mentioned much in the debate over reopening the nation's schools, the expenses involved. While much of the back and forth has been over health and policy, school and union officials say the cost is also a major concern. They say there's a long list of extra expenses, ranging from additional teachers, custodians, and nurses, to the cost of purchasing protective gear. Stocks gained ground today on Wall Street. The Dow up 227 points. The Nasdaq rose 61 points. The S&P was up 29 points. This is NPR.
This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Garo Hagopian in Boston. Car- now that was the wrong clip. <laughs> Sorry about that, peeps. That was supposed to be a clip about the hospitals. Okay, what happened here? Oh, I totally screwed up. Hmm. Well, let's play let's play one about the masks and then we'll I'll try to find this other one. When we talk about masks, we have to talk about microns. And typically, if you look at an N95 mask, what that does is it filters out 95% of particulate matter larger than 0.3 microns. Well, the question then is, how big is a COVID particle? And a COVID particle is about 0.1 micron. So we know that even an N95 mask has tremendous limitations. Yes, it does help some because COVID particles will, if you will, coalesce and coagulate almost as they come into the the magnetized or electrified field of the uh, N95 mask. But the bottom line is a surgical mask or a cloth mask are really designed only for particulate matter greater than five microns. Typical bacteria are one to 20 microns. So when we wear surgical masks in surgery, We're simply trying to make sure that if we sneeze, cough, or something, we're not spraying a lot of bacteria into the place we're doing surgery. But this idea of people thinking that they're doing something particularly useful with a cotton mask or a handkerchief or a homemade mask or a surgical mask is just Looney Tunes. That was Dr. Scott Jensen explaining why masks don't work. But that really wasn't my intention. Sorry, I was just trying to find... So what I was going going after there was I was I was looking at a lot of these uh, and we played one earlier in this just in where where the Florida numbers were dramatically um, overestimated. So let's listen to this is Cheryl Atkinson. This is a little bit of history. Who remembers H one N one or Ebola or swine flu or oh, what were some other ones? Um, oh yeah, there's there's a long list of these. Well, there was other COVIDs. There's there was other coronaviruses. There were um, th- this uh, this flu thing has been used before and probably be used again. But check this out. Here's your H1N1 report. If you've been diagnosed with probable or presumed 2009 H1N1 or swine flu in recent months, you may be surprised to know this. The odds are you didn't have H1N1 flu. In fact, you probably didn't have flu at all. That's according to state-by-state test results obtained in our three-month-long CBS News investigation. In short, only a small fraction of cases that doctors flagged as most likely to be swine flu actually tested positive for swine flu at state labs. The vast majority of the cases were negative. Ruh-roh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We get it. So this, this type of um, faulty testing, this type of fake statistics, I mean, this has been done either to sell vaccines or to... Um, sell some other program or give give fear to you know sell the flu shot who knows right so the this this tactic's been used over and over again in some cases it's to discredit the um the incumbent 
uh, the, the, I saw an interesting graph the other day. It showed uh, amazingly, and, and this spans multiple presidential administrations, but almost in every election year, you see one of these um, outbreaks. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's like clockwork, you know, probably for the last seven or eight elections. Um, it doesn't mean uh, it could be just a coincidence uh, or not. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, all right. I think it's time to jump into. And by the way, the, the reason we're we did our little COVID spot here up front is, well, where did this start? Um, well, it started in China. Surprise, surprise. And since China is what we're talking about today, you know, we couldn't talk about China without looking at some very suspicious things going on in the COVID world um, that are that are very related to this the Chinese Wuhan flu. And nothing makes us think of China like the World Health Organization. So I'm going to play a couple of little clips from Tedros, our buddy who heads up the World Health Organization. And as we all know, America's leaving, I think we've already submitted our resignation to the World Health Organization. And uh, we're pulling our support out, which means we're not going to pay. And the reason for that was, was China's incredible influence over that organization. And um, I, I think maybe it's money, maybe there's other things going on, but definitely we've, we've lost our influence in the World Health Organization. It's a corrupt organization. And the way you can determine that is listen to the leadership. So here's Tedros going to break it down for us. If governments do not clearly communicate with their citizens and roll out a comprehensive strategy focused on suppressing transmission and saving lives, if populations do not follow the basic public health principles of physical distancing, hand washing, wearing masks, coughing a ticket, and staying at home when sick. If the basics aren't followed, there is only one way this pandemic is going to go. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Three times, so you don't forget. <laughs> so what is he saying there? Well, as bizarre as that was, uh, he tops it. If governments do not clearly communicate with their citizens and roll out a comprehensive strategy focused... Now, the government, if, if the government doesn't roll out this strategy and communicate with their citizens, what is he talking about? He's talking about basically compliance. And he says, you're going to have to wear your mask. You're going to have to stay home. You're going to have to social distance. You're going to have to wash your hands. This is all about compliance. It's not about your health. So 
we we just do not understand what's going on here. We do not understand what they're trying to accomplish with these, let's call them global. They're not necessarily, they're not government, they're not attached to a particular government. They're kind of a combination. So if you look at CDC or World Health Organization or some of these, they're, they're funded, they're, they're made up of you know, international um, bodies. NEH, um, NIH, sorry, they're, um, they're definitely not American. So we need to think about what they're telling us, why they're telling us, um, and we need to be very, very cognizant of what they're up to. So now we see, you know, China's got influence in the World Health Organization. They've got influence in our academia. You, you see a lot of things going on um, in where schools of higher learning like Harvard and Yale um, are getting large donations from outside. You have to assume it's the government but they're, it's coming in from individuals. And we've, got, we've done some work on that too that I, I'm gonna play in another show. But, so why is, how is China getting all this influence? Well, Hollywood's a good example, and we're gonna touch on that today, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna start with the NBA because the NBA in some ways kicked all of this off. And the way that happened was, um, we're going to go back. We're going to go back a little bit. Um, it's it's basically March 11th. So at this point, um, we know March 11th. This was before the lockdown, right? A couple of days, and coronavirus testing at that point in time, yeah, it was pretty much nearly impossible to come by. And the process was, you know, sticking some swabs up your nose and touching your brain and then sending it off to a lab and then the lab would send back the results. I mean, this was a multi-day process at minimum, uh, if you could even get a test at this point in time. This is, this is early into the, you know, pandemic. So, so why am I bringing this up? Well, and I'm gonna set the stage with, with Jason Whitlock first. He's an interesting fellow. Uh, so before we get into the Gobert timeline, I'm gonna lay out some things that Jason Whitlock had to say. Um, he's had some really hot takes on the NBA on China and Nike. And I'm pretty sure you won't be seeing him on any NBA telecasts anytime soon. And he should stay out of hot tubs and avoid light aircraft um, would be my suggestion. But what his first take I'm going to play was back in 2019. 
One of the, uh, the, I guess, the main, the principal owner of the uh, Houston Rockets, pretty, you know, tweeted out what was pretty innocuous. It was a tweet of, on solidarity for democracy, um, you know, regarding Hong Kong. So I probably don't need to explain too much what was going on there, but you know, Hong Kong was in a fight for its independence essentially, and China was putting their, you know their foot on the neck, literally. And and so there was riots and there was, uh, you know, looked a lot like America right now. Much worse, though, and very serious. The, you know, Hong Kong was effectively under British rule and, uh, you know, was turned over to, turned back to the Chinese a few years ago. And the Chinese had promised as part of that handoff that they would, you know, allow um, Hong Kong to to, rem to remain independent in its sovereignty, but that's obviously not the case now. So basically the Rockets owner tweeted this, you know, solidarity for democracy, and he was punished, pummeled. And you had big NBA stars coming out and and basically lambasting him. And, you know, this was, Popovich and Kerr and uh, you know some pretty big names around the NBA and Adam Silver and the whole and and um, I think ultimately Maury was fined and he had to issue a string of apologies and was pretty pathetic actually. So let's listen to Jason's take and this is going back. Uh, this is going back into October of 2019 when this all happened. So let's listen to Jason break down the Maury situation. The NBA is strangling on its own hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. They've branded themselves as the social justice league, mm -hmm. the most progressive league. Mm -hmm. We care about all the everything. Mm -hmm. And Daryl Maury has tweeted out support of democracy. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think most Americans have a consensus on. We right. believe in democracy. Okay. And we don't believe in communism and repressive government. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think th the NBA needs to be more honest about what it is. It's a business, a cold-hearted business. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of money to be made in China. Right. That's why every NBA player runs his ass over to China mm -hmm. two or three times every summer to get the bag. Right. The NBA's been over there getting the bag. And right. a, that's one of the reasons why NBA salaries have escalated to such a high level. And so the problem that people are having is like the NBA, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, mm -hmm. LeBron James, nobody wants to visit the White House. Everybody's very critical of the American mm -hmm. government. Mm -hmm. But here we have a communist repressive government mm -hmm. that human rights violations out the yin-yang. Okay. Daryl Moy, innocent little tweet here, and no one can stand by him for business purposes. I, so quit faking the funk. We, there's no faking the funk. Just one. be a business. There's no faking the funk. One and two. I understand what you're speaking of. Well, when when we when we take a stand, as far as in America, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, LeBron, whoever it is, myself, you, whoever it is, that's in our backyard. This is not our backyard. That's one. No, that's where is, you get your money Two from. is that 600 million people watching Chinese that's over in China that's watching NBA basketball. 600 million. Wait, 200 million more than America. So you now what you're doing is you're biting them hands and feeding you. 
So, so first of all, stay away from that. Stay away from it because if you if you if your son go if you're so gung ho, your name would be with Steve Kerr and and Greg Popovich when it comes to what's in America. Do you tweet a lot of those things that's in America that's going on? I don't see you doing that, but you tweet those type of things that's maybe uproar and doing X, Y, and Z over there in um, Asia. I've said this earlier in the week about the Kansas controversy with Snoop. I'm standing on it, repeat it again. The shoe companies control basketball. Mm -hmm. And the shoe companies are really in bed with China mm -hmm. and are really trying to get the bag from China. Okay. And so all that some people are saying is like, cut it out, NBA, Adam Silver, Steve Kerr. You guys are not political activists. You're not social justice activists. I don't think that's You're business doing. people. I don't think that's Because when doing. China tells you to shut the hell up, everybody shuts the hell up. I everybody don't loses their courage when there's money on the line. And we crucified the NFL mm -hmm. for protecting its bag. When they say, hey, man, this kneeling thing's hurting us ratings-wise, and we're a business here trying to do a TV show, we crucified the NFL. But now the NBA tries to protect this, and everybody, everybody, cat got my tongue. <laughs> yeah, the cat got the tongue. Now that was breaking it down, I'm afraid. Uh, that show was Speak for Yourself. And I think that's that's a show Jason was doing on ESPN. I think he's the, the founder of that show. Um, and... Um, not sure who the other guys were, uh, but but Jason laid down the law there, and it's it's true. You've got kind of an activism against the current administration, but not against the CCP. Uh, this is wrong, and this is upside down. And we've seen a lot of companies sell their souls for China. I worked for one. Um, this this is not unusual. The, the, you know, you've got that billion and a half people. That market is enticing. If you if you get your you know Mark Zuckerberg's another good example of selling your soul for China. Google did it. Uh, the, you know, the reason is simple. They've got such massive numbers, uh, and the opportunity is so great. No one wants to. No one wants to bite the hand that feeds you, as as somebody said in that in that panel with Jason, um, which is pretty sad, actually. Uh, the the, um, the other thing is, um, so 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 Jason called out, and it was really interesting how he contrasted NFL situation with with the NBA situation. So. He, he definitely was was trying to um, make the point that, uh, you know, when the NFL was just trying to get the bag, uh, you know, everybody crucified him. But it uh, doesn't seem that way with the NBA. So anyway, that's the hypocrisy he's, he was calling out from the get-go. But now we fast forward through all this coronavirus stuff and... So what's Jason's take now? This was just, this was one day ago. And uh, this is Jason on Fox News with uh, Ingraham. Here we go. Joining me now is Jason Whitlock, partner and columnist at thegreatoutkick.com. 
Uh, Jason, uh, these critiques of uh, Nike and the NBA, uh, they've really struck a chord. Why is that? Well, because I think it's an easy way to get the typical American sports fan, which is a massive audience, to understand some of the larger issues going on in America's society, in American society. And so when you look at a lot of resistance to President Trump and his America first agenda, you can see it right there in the NBA and with Nike. They have so much interest in the market in China that they've put the uh, goals and the agenda of China ahead of the American agenda. And that's why it's so easy for them to sit on their thrones, smear America, while overlooking the fact that Asian slave labor and the Communist China Party uh, that runs China are using a LeBron James, a Colin Kaepernick, and Nike to smear America. This is what communist countries have done to the West forever. They've smeared us with the race card when America is the worldwide leader when it comes to dealing with race. We deal with it more effectively than any other country in the history of the world, and we certainly deal with it a lot better than China. And Jason, I want to put those numbers you mentioned in context uh, for the audience. The league rakes in an estimated half a billion dollars per year from China, which is at least 10 percent of its revenue. And estimates say that that, that contribution could reach 20 percent in the next 10 years as the audience there grows. Um, money talks. You know, we talk a big game about what we're going to put on the back of our jersey. Uh, but you think about who's stitching that jersey, what kind of life they might want to lead if they could have freedom. I think this is just an easy way for Americans to understand some of the larger cultural issues we're dealing with here in America. The influence of foreign countries is so strong in America that our sports leagues are bending. The NBA, that has a very global agenda, that was David Stern's vision, we're going to make the NBA strong all across the globe. And the NBA really isn't concerned with its American audience. I don't think they really care. I think you know, that 20% revenue goal, I think, is very conservative. Yeah, I, I was think, say. Yeah, I think their goal to get a television contract in China that dwarfs anything that they're getting paid here in America has been the real agenda. And that's yeah. why they keep scolding America and smearing America. It's very hypocritical. I'm glad Senator Holly is pointing it out. We need this conversation on a large stage, and we need yeah. the American public to understand it. Yeah, maybe it's time for them to stay out of politics if they're going to have such an obvious double standard that's so easy to point out. Jason, I want to get your thoughts on this, yeah, this story because we've been covering that sharp turn that ESPN and other sports media have taken and their coverage of late. Today, The Wall Street Journal is reporting that ESPN anchor Sage Steele has told management that she believes she was excluded from a special uh, network uh, on the network that aired on race last month because she wasn't considered by certain black colleagues to be an authentic voice for the black community. Now, as the daughter of an army colonel, I know uh, she's spoken, um, she's spoken out against kneeling for the anthem. So do you imagine it's rooted in that sentiment? Well, there's no question about it. Stay still is plenty black, and this whole conversation about black enough is, is a joke. Sage Steele's issue is she doesn't have the right message. And the message 
that ESPN wants and its black employees want is all one-sided. You can only have one point of view. It's really unfair for black people to put these types of limits on ourselves in terms of opening our mind to different ways of viewing the world. It's hard if you just, if as a black person, the thing I keep trying to explain in a lot of my columns on OutKick is like, hey, are we evaluating things through our religious faith? Many of us raised Christian. And are we abandoning our Christian beliefs in order to be a slave to a political point of view that's inconsistent with our Christian values? I don't know Sage Steele all that well. What I do know about her, and again, we're friendly, but I don't know her that well. Mm. Uh, what I do know about her, yeah. I think she has some religious faith and she stays consistent with those values. Good for to her. somehow have that defined as not black enough is really frightening for African-Americans. Jason, thanks so much for your perspective as always tonight. Great to see you. <laughs> I love Jason Whitlock. He, he really can, he can break it down. Um, it's sad what's going on, uh, especially in these networks. Of course, they're all <laughs> pretty much all this stuff is owned by the Disney Channel. So you can see that all this is being shaped effectively by, by Hollywood to some degree because and, and by the Chinese market. So whether you're an NBA team or whether you're Nike or whether you're trying to sell a movie uh, into or or a chip into uh, into China, you've got to. Well, you, you don't have to, but it seems like they're being told uh, how to, how high to jump, and uh, <laughs> and to put it like Jason Whitlock said, if China tells you to shut the hell up, then you shut the hell up. And that is, uh, I think that's pretty obvious that that's going on right now. Now, that sets up the context for what happened to the NBA and the COVID. So let's, let's go through this timeline. I'm going to explain what happened with, with Gobert. And uh, this, this will be in the show notes because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be presenting some things that happened and statements made by the NBA itself and the Utah Jazz, which is who Rudy Gobert plays for. So those of you who aren't sports fans, um, Rudy Gobert is a center. He's a big, tall guy, plays for the Utah Jazz, over seven feet tall, two meters, 20-something. And he's, um, he's French, so he's not a... He's not an American citizen, but he's played in the NBA for quite a while. Um, he's he's a top player, especially defensively. Let's, let's say he's a good player. Um, he's probably not an elite uh, player. I mean, I'm, I'm betting he made the all-star team, but uh, he's not a perennial all-star, I would say. But he, he's probably made the all-star team a few times. And he's definitely an elite defender in the NBA. Uh, the Utah Jazz are a pretty good team, and in fact, we're going to look at a timeline that starts on March second. So we're going to we're going to lead up to his Gobert's testing positive for the COVID virus, 
And just to set this, that stage, um, on, on March 11th, a, uh, and according to this ESPN report, the NBA decided to test Go Bear on Wednesday, which is the which is the 11th, because their claim was he tested negative for other ailments. The decision was made late in the day. This is quote. The decision was made late in the day because his symptoms had diminished over the course of Wednesday. So imagine late in the day on Wednesday, they decided to test Rudy Gobert. Now, what what happened and what led up to that test? So um, I'll take you through the timeline because it's important. Uh, I did play a little basketball myself. So I kind of know, you know, what happens when you're sick. This guy's not Michael Jordan. And, you know, if he if Michael Jordan got sick and he was a few notches worse than usual, you know, maybe he was still better than John Starks. This is not that kind of player. So, you know, Rudy would be impacted by an illness or a sickness or like most players would be, uh, you know, who are who are good players. But, uh, you know, it's not like he can dominate if things aren't right. So, so um, let's go back to March 2nd, 2020. The Jazz go on a long road trip, you know, so from Utah. So they're playing on the road every night. And March 2nd, they play in Cleveland. Gobert plays 34 minutes. He has nine boards, two steals, five blocks, 20 points. Jazz win um, on the road. So playing very well. Um, March 4th, so, you know, one day travel, they go to New York. Gobert plays 34 minutes, 14 boards, two blocks, 18 points, another great game, Jazz win. March 5th, so the next day, they got back-to-back, -back. Jazz versus Celtics in Boston. Gobert plays 33 minutes, seven boards, two assists, three blocks, nine points, and they win again. March 7th, so they get a travel day, then they're in Detroit, they're at Detroit, Gobert plays 35 minutes. He has 12 boards, 10 points, two blocks, right in line with how he usually plays. And uh, win again. So they're a, Jazz are on a on the road, which is this is very unusual. They're they're on a four or five game win streak here on the road. And then they have an, you know, another one day and they, they head to uh, Toronto now. They're up in Toronto. Gobert plays 32 minutes. Gets four boards, two steals, one block, and six points. Um, it was a, and that was a very close game, you know, a good game, and they they lose to the Raptors, who were you know defending champs, pretty good, pretty good team. So, not really a reduction in minutes or you know performance. Yeah, this last game against the Raptors, but they have a lot of long, big inside players, and you can see how, uh, you know, Gobert could. You know, could be limited in a game like that, but he had, but he had his usual minutes. So, so at this point, they're still on the road. Um, they have a day off, so this is March 9th. Um, but I, I want to make a note of what happened. So, on in that game versus the Raptors, Gobert is interviewed after the game. So he's he's in the he's in the room getting interviewed. And there were already some precautions, you know, this is early in the, 
the, the, the pandemic. So what you see is Gobert's, you know, he does his interview, they ask him a few questions. And at the clo close of the interview, um, I think they had put the, uh, the group of reporters maybe an extra six or 10 feet back from the table. Normally they're right up there, you know, in the room. I think they had pushed the chairs back and left a little more space. It looks like they were starting to take, you know, these coronavirus precautions. Um, and so Gobert, kind of mocking the situation, uh, touches the at, at the end of the interview as he stands up and he gets ready to leave. Maybe somebody said something. I don't know what triggered him doing that. But he he kind of pretended in a way to, to put his hands on the microphone and touch a few things, kind of mocking these precautions. Um, but, you know, in a joking way, I, I don't think, you know, obviously no ill will on anyone was intended. So it was, it was just a player, you know, making a stupid joke. So big deal. Um, but here's where things get interesting. So Gobert does that, leaves, you know, there's, there's some outrage. Of course, the Twitterverse was outraged and probably a few others. But in any case, um, March 10th is a travel day. We're, and they're, uh, they're headed from New York. And let's see, who are they playing the next day? Let me see. Oh, they're in Oklahoma. Yeah. So, so basically, they've got to go. So that was the. So Gobert touches the mics on the ninth, and then, the, assuming the tenth is a travel day, so they're and they head off to Oklahoma. And on the eleventh at five o'clock, CST. They're they're supposed to have a game versus the Thunder. And before that game, so bear, you know, bear with me here. I'm trying to make a point on the timing. So that happens probably in Toronto after the game. So we're talking 11, 12 o'clock at night when this press deal is finished. The team travels the next day to get to Oklahoma City from Toronto. And then supposedly... Between that time and five o'clock, uh, before you know, before the game started in Oklahoma City, they're um, they run all these tests on Gobert, including a COVID virus test, and the um, I'm going to read what they said. Um, so here here's here's what here's the NBA statement. Uh, the NBA said in a statement that the player's test result was reported shortly before tip-off. The league said the player wasn't in the arena, <laughs> which is probably which has to be bullshit. The Jazz said in a statement that the player tested negative for influenza, strep throat, and upper respiratory infection. The individual symptoms diminished over the course of Wednesday. However, in a precautionary measure and in consultation and cooperation, with NBA medical staff and Oklahoma health officials, 
a decision was made to test for COVID-19. Now this makes no sense. It also makes no sense you know, when I go back to the point I made earlier. At this point in time, there were no COVID-19 tests. And any test that was being done at that time took days in the lab. This guy's on a plane traveling all day from Toronto to Oklahoma City in roughly less than 24 hours, he gets all these tests, including a COVID test, and the COVID test comes back positive. Now, that's just bull crap. There's no way that flies. And I, I don't buy that. The timeline, and by the way, this is not like the guys sitting at home in Utah where, you know, they've got the team doctors and, you know, they've, They've got the infrastructure there. Utah's got the relationships and the hospital and all. This dude's on the road. This dude's in the air. This guy's going from, you know, one airport to another airport. Yeah, they got a private plane and all that, I'm sure. But this does not add up. And if you read carefully their wording, yeah, so he's not in the arena. This this was clearly done. And, you know, so where the hell was he? And, you know, he's, he had a game. So why wasn't he at the arena? Which that implies that these results were in even earlier. So long before the game. So at least a couple hours before the game. Um, none of this adds up. Okay, but so what's the point? So big deal. So Go, Go Bear gets a test. And um, the test supposedly is positive. So what? Well, so what? This was the trigger to shut down the NBA. And I could make the case that by the NBA shutting down, and I'm going to tell you, within, within 24 hours of Gobert uh, testing positive and the NBA canceling the game and then pausing the season, Every school in California shut down within 24 hours. March 13th is the day we got the notifications, my children are in school in California, that all the schools were shut down. And you, you could definitely do some work and tie those two things together. That the event of the NBA shutting down their season was the first domino to fall. And... I'm making the case that this was intentional. This was planned. Um, Gobert was a convenient scapegoat because he made fun of it. And um, and obviously, he's not dead. He's, he's still alive. He's, he, you know, he said that he had some symptoms and uh, was slow to recover, but didn't kill him. Um, and that's not a real surprise. So... What's going on here and why? So here's a few questions, right? So first of all, why would the NBA test go bare at all? They ran those other tests. He didn't have the flu. They said it himself. Coronavirus is called the Wuhan flu. It is the flu. So they'd already tested him. He didn't have the flu. They didn't have coronavirus tests at the time. 
So what the hell did they test him for? And then why did they come out and say he's got COVID? Well, the answer was, I doubt seriously that he was tested. There's just not enough time. And my only conclusion is this was to protect China or China sent in the code red or this was done this was done for some reason and if you if you want to add 2 plus 2 um and and take Jason Whitlock at his word if China says shut the hell up the NBA shuts the hell up if if China says you have the Wuhan flu you have the Wuhan flu i i think this i think this is pretty clear indication that something happened here. Uh, we know that Gobert, there was nothing wrong with him. He didn't have any other ill effects. So why are they testing the guy in the first place? He just played five or six straight games, full minutes, playing well, jazz winning, um, on the road. None of this adds up. So anyway, that's my that's my NBA conspiracy theory. Uh, you can you can uh, take it for what it's worth. I think it's very suspicious at the minimum, and I think it ties into what what Jason's saying. Uh, very sad if any of this is true or any of it's uh, was done intentionally. But now, and now I'm going to come full circle and say, okay. We know China's pulling some stunts. Now, whether this NBA is a real stunt or whether this is just a, you know, a coincidence, uh, we're going to listen to what the Trump administration is saying. And I'm sure none of you heard any of this because the media didn't play any of it. But Trump had a, what, what, you know, many people who really think about it believe that the Trump and the Barr speeches that were given in the last 40, 48, 72 hours are two of the most important um, speeches they've given. And it's all about what's going on with China. So let's let's listen to Trump uh, lay it out for you um, in uh, in regards to Hong Kong and China. This is this was in the Rose Garden. This is where Trump supposedly was giving a, uh, this was a campaign speech, according to the MSM. Uh, he, he was in full campaign mode. He might as well have been wearing a MAGA hat and selling Goya beans, according to the MSM. Of course, they didn't talk about anything that he said. But so let's listen to what uh, President Trump has to say on, uh, on China and Hong Kong. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. So, we've had a big day on the stock market. Things are coming back, and they're coming back very rapidly, a lot sooner than people thought. People are feeling good about our country. People are feeling good about uh, therapeutics and possible vaccines. But we're going to go over quite a bit, and maybe at the end we'll take some questions if we have time. It's not too hot. 
Today, I signed legislation and an executive order to hold China accountable for its oppressive actions against the people of Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Autonomy Act, which I signed this afternoon, passed unanimously through Congress. This law gives my administration powerful new tools to hold responsible the individuals and the entities involved in extinguishing Hong Kong's freedom. We've all watched what happened. Not a good situation. Their freedom's been taken away, their rights have been taken away, and with it goes Hong Kong, in my opinion, because it will no longer be able to compete with free markets. A lot of people will be leaving Hong Kong, I suspect. And we're going to do a lot more business because of it, because we just lost one competitor. It's the way it is. We lost a very, very serious competitor, competitor that we incentivized to take a lot of business and do well. And uh, we gave them a lot of business by doing what we did. We gave them things that nobody else had the right to do. And that gave them a big edge over other markets. And because of that edge, uh, they've done really historic business, tremendous business, far bigger than anybody would have thought years ago when we did this uh, gift. We, it was really a gift to freedom. Okay, so now Trump's describing, you know, he's, he's trying to step in and punish China for their behavior in Hong Kong. Uh, does not sound like a campaign speech so far. Okay, next. Today, I also signed an executive order ending U.S. preferential treatment for Hong Kong. Hong Kong will now be treated the same as mainland China. No special privileges, no special economic treatment, and no export of sensitive technologies. In addition to that, as you know, we're placing massive tariffs and have placed very large tariffs on China. First time that's ever happened to China. Billions of dollars have been paid to the United States, of which I've given quite a bit to the farmers and ranchers for our country because they were targeted. And that's been going on for three years. It's first time anybody's ever done anything like that. And prior to the plague pouring in from China, they were having the worst year, as you know, in 67 years. And I don't want them to have a bad year. I want them to have a good year. But they were taking advantage of the United States for many, many years. And that's uh, stopping. What? We, well, we didn't hear any of this, that, that Trump's putting the wood on China? Huh. No, none of that. Don't hear anything about that from the M MSM. Um, no administration has been tougher on China than this administration. We imposed historic tariffs. We stood up to China's intellectual property theft at a level that nobody's ever come close. We confronted untrustworthy Chinese technology and telecom providers. We convinced many countries, many countries, and I did this myself for the most part, not to use Huawei because we think it's an unsafe security risk. It's a big security risk. I talked many countries out of using it. If they want to do business with us, they can't use it. Just today, I believe that UK announced that uh, they're not going to be using it. And that was up in the air for a long time, but they've decided. And you look at Italy, you look at many other countries. We withdrew from the Chinese-dominated WHO, and we fully rebuilt the United States military, the WHO, World Health Organization. Uh, we were paying close to $500 million a year. China was paying $39 million a year. And uh, China had too much say. They worked it very hard, which is a uh, bad thing done by our past administrations. We've been very tough on the World Trade Organization, and we've been uh, 
I guess, as tough as you can get on world health. We withdrew our money. We told them we're getting out. Doesn't mean that someday we won't go back in. Maybe we will when it's correctly run. But they made a lot of bad predictions and they said a lot of bad things about what to do and how to do it. And they turned out to be wrong. And they were really a puppet of China. And make no mistake, we hold China fully responsible for concealing the virus and unleashing it upon the world. They could have stopped it. They should have stopped it. Would have been very easy to do at the source when it happened. What? <laughs> no. No one is hearing this anywhere, and um, I would agree. It's incredibly important. Um, we're in a war with China. Now, it's not a war of guns and, uh, and missiles, but it's, it's an economic war. And it's been long overdue, and we've been taking advantage in many of our trade secrets and intellectual property and, um, and businesses were moved overseas and and china took advantage of that and you know we we have to blame ourselves for that and trump's trying to undo that so don't think this was a uh, campaign speech at all but to give you a now that you've heard that this is um this is brian williams describing that speech that you just listened to brian williams i think wasn't he shot down in a helicopter or something the president spoke in the Rose Garden today for 52, 53 minutes without pause or interruption, saying the same things he would normally say to a campaign rally audience. It was billed as a statement about China, and while it briefly contained one, he went on to relitigate the 2016 election and the polls. He went hard after Obama, especially hard after the Bidens, both Joe and his son Hunter, of course. He talked about the Paris Climate Accord, Burisma, Biden's failures in the area of road and bridge construction, Bernie, AOC, ventilators, hospital ships, violence in Chicago, the stock market three times, the usual stuff. Oh, and he said Biden would abolish the suburbs and windows, not the software, but windows, the kind in buildings. He said we're feeling good about our country. He said the European Union was formed to take advantage of the United States. He quickly added other presidents didn't know that. He said we are coming out of this pandemic on top. On the coronavirus, he said testing is fodder for fake news. Cases are created because of the testing, but nothing new about how to control this virus. And these guys wonder why no one watches that crap. I'm sorry I haven't played that. But I did want to show you how the MSM uh, and demonstrate <laughs> how they completely lie about what Trump said. And they completely avoid uh, mentioning any details about the actions that Trump took on China. Now we're going to, on top of that, we're going to go to what Barr said about China. And uh, this is interesting. So this was um, this was a day or two later, and this is a AG Barr, um, and he's he's going to call out folks by name. So let's let's listen to uh, to the Attorney General. I'm privileged to speak here today about what may prove to be the most important issue for our nation and the world in the 21st century, and that is the United States response in the global ambitions to the global ambitions of the Chinese Communist Party. The CCP rules with an iron fist 
over one of the great ancient civilizations of the world. It seeks to leverage the immense power, productivity, and ingenuity of the Chinese people to overthrow the rule-based international system and to make the world safe for dictatorship. How the United States responds to this challenge will have historic implications and will determine whether the United States and its liberal democratic allies will continue to shape their own destiny or whether the CCP and its autocratic tributaries will continue to will control the future. Hmm. So I didn't I don't recall hearing Brian Williams talking about any of that either. So let's continue. Several weeks ago, the National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien spoke about the CCP's ideology and global ambitions. He declared, and I agree, that the days of American passivity and naivete regarding the People's Republic of China are over. And last week, the FBI director, Chris Wray, described how the CCP pursues its ambitions through the nefarious and even illegal conduct, including industrial espionage, theft, extortion, cyber attacks, and malign influence activities. In the coming days, you will hear from Secretary Mike Pompeo, who will sum up what is at stake for the United States and the free world. Now, Chris Wray told me that shortly after his speech last week, one of the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party pronounced that his speech was particularly disgusting. I told him that I was going to aim today to be despicable. <laughs> but I'll settle for especially disgusting. So even, even the FBI uh, seems to be taking some action. Uh, instead of against President Trump, this time they're actually doing their job, which is to protect the United States from foreign invaders. Uh, let's let's listen to the Blitzkrieg. General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, who has centralized power to a degree not seen since the dictatorship of Mao Zedong, now speaks openly of China moving closer to the center stage, building a socialism that is superior to capitalism, and replacing the American dream with the Chinese solution. China is no longer hiding its strength, nor biding its time. From the perspective of its communist rulers, China's time has arrived. The People's Republic of China is now engaged in an economic blitzkrieg, an aggressive, orchestrated, whole of government, indeed whole of society campaign to seize the commanding heights of the global economy and to surpass the United States as the world's preeminent technological superpower. All too often, for the sake of short-term profits, American companies have succumbed to that influence, even at the expense of freedom and openness in the United States. Sadly, examples of American business bowing to China are legion. Take Hollywood. Hollywood's actors, producers, and directors pride themselves on celebrating freedom and the human spirit. And every year at the Academy Awards, Americans are lectured about how this country falls short 
of Hollywood's ideals of social justice. But Hollywood now regularly censors its own movies to appease the Chinese Communist Party, the world's most powerful violator of human rights. This censorship infects not only the versions of movies that are released in China, but also many that are shown in the United States theaters to American audiences. <laughs> yes. So here we get back to the hypocrisy of the NBA, as Jason Whitlock described it. It becomes analogous to the hypocrisy of Hollywood, and pretty much for the same reason access to the market. America's corporate leaders might not think of themselves as lobbyists. You might think, for example, that cultivating a mutually beneficial relationship is just part of a of Guangxi, the system of influence, influential social networking necessary to do business in the PRC. But you should be alert to how you might be used <clears throat> and how your efforts on behalf of a foreign company or government could implicate the Foreign Agents Registration Act. FARA does not prohibit any speech or conduct, but it does require those who are acting as agents of foreign principles to publicly disclose that relationship and their political or other similar activities by registering with the Justice Department, allowing the audience to take into account the origin of the speech when evaluating credibility. You know, that's important because we we look at companies like Apple and Google and Facebook, these, these big tech companies, um, as American companies. But actually, are they? Um, you know, they're public companies. They're traded. They're owned. You know, they have billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of net value, and they're um, you know, they're traded publicly, institutional uh, investors. Um, they're global companies. And they, they behave, um, I'm not sure if they think like this, but they behave like they're not American companies. And I think um, this has created uh, some tension because... The Trump administration is, you know, they ran on make a, you know, on, on uh, put America first, and this seems to rub the rub these big global companies the wrong way, uh, without a doubt. So, so there's there's a real issue there, and when these global companies put their put other interests, I mean. Pretty much in all cases, the reason they got started and had that success was based on their position uh, of starting in the United States. Would have been much harder to start those businesses in other places. Not impossible, but uh, much more difficult. So, so they relied on that system to get started and get large, but now they sort of forgot what's the old saying you dance with the one who brung you they seem to have forgotten that lesson uh, and let's you know in a similar way so we've talked about the NBA now we've talked about Hollywood 
uh, they're all beholden to China. Well, there's another group that is seems to be beholden to China or or heavily uh, compromised, and that's academia. The Chinese Communist Party also seeks to infiltrate, censor, or co-opt American academic and research institutions. For example, dozens of American universities host Chinese government-funded Confucian Institutes, which have been accused of pressuring host universities to silence discussion or cancel events on topics considered controversial by Beijing. Universities must stand up for each other, refuse to let the CCP dictate research efforts or suppress diverse voices, support colleagues and students who wish to speak their minds, and consider whether any sacrifice of academic integrity or freedom is worth the price of appeasing the CCP's demands. In a globalized world, American corporations and universities alike may view themselves as global citizens rather than as American institutions. But they should remember that what allowed them to succeed in the first place was the American free enterprise system, the rule of law, and the security afforded by America's economic, technological, and military strength. Indeed. Now, to finish up today's show, we're going to play a game. You have to tell me and uh, send, me a, send me a tweet or an email. I'll answer this at the end. I'm going to play a supercut, and you have to tell me what they missed in the supercut. These are... These are all the wars Trump has going on right now. Donald Trump's war on elements of his own government. Trump's war on absentee ballots. Trump's war on Fauci. President Trump's war on face masks. Trump's war on world order. Donald Trump's war on women. Trump's war on science. Trump's war on children. President Trump's war on the truth. Trump's war on reality. Trump's war on institutions. Trump's war on his own executive branch. Donald Trump's war on the FBI. Donald Trump's war on the FBI. Trump's war on Jeff Sessions. President Trump's war on Obamacare. Donald Trump's war on law enforcement. Trump's war on the whistleblower. Trump's war on the Freedom Caucus. President Trump's war on the NFL. Trump's war on Amazon. Donald Trump's war on Intel. Trump's war on the intelligence community. Trump's war on intelligence. Donald Trump's war on immigrants. Trump's war on immigrant labor. From President Trump's war on the press. President Trump's unprecedented first year war on the media. Trump's war on the media. War on the media. War on the press. War on the media. Trump's war on the media. Coming up in our next hour, Trump's war on the media continues. Donald Trump's war on justice. Trump's war on justice. Donald Trump's war on justice. Donald Trump's war on justice. Donald Trump's war on justice. Trump's war on the justice system. Fact check false. Okay. Now, what did the MSM miss? Trump has a war on everything, obviously. So what What in the heck did they miss? I mean, he had a war on the NFL and on, jeez, uh, you, you name it, Trump had a war on it, except for the thing that he really has a war on. China. Correct. You, if you said China, you were right. The only thing Trump didn't have a war on was the thing that he has a war on. Don't you love the MSM? Don't watch that, that crap, please. All right. Well, that's our show for the day. I want to thank you for listening. Hopefully we brought up some interesting points. 
We do know that um, China has an incredible influence on what's happening in the United States right now. Some, some good, but mostly bad. And uh, we got to get a handle on that. And so the administration is trying. You can see that. You could you heard that by Attorney General Barr and, and President Trump's uh, uh, speeches that they just gave this last week. And um, yeah, look forward to the to our next show. Please visit unwired.net. And if you want to. If you want to support the show, unwired.net/slash/donate. Um, I'll have uh, I'll have the show notes with a lot of the links to this information um, up this evening. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. Over. Like a holiday